You're listening to Pain to Power Podcast, a series of inspirational stories from world-class leaders and high achievers, where you will hear all about past traumas, hardships, and getting through the pain, fighting against all odds, dominating goals and dreams, and now impacting lives. I am your host, Kayla Cardona. This is the podcast that will have you realize your own vision of success, regardless of your circumstances, to unlock your potential. Welcome to Pain to Power. Let's go. Born in Iran, father leaving at age three, raised by a single mom, refugees running from a war, escaping the country at only 11 years old to chase a real chance. Not knowing any English and being new to America, expecting the abundant glam life he's only seen in movies. Moving to a small town in Pennsylvania full of abandoned buildings, gangs, drugs, prostitutes, he was in for a rude awakening. Not fitting in, only minority in school, short, skinny, brought tons of bullying and fights he's never won. How bodybuilding and fitness changed his life and how it was his newfound passion to help change thousands and thousands of lives. To now a multi-millionaire, co-founder of Camp Transformation Center, CEO of 1% Nutrition, host of 1%er podcast, world-class speaker, and one of the biggest influencers in the game today. Meet Sam Bakhtiar. Sam gets really personal and opens up about his relationships with his mother, memories of his father, ex-wife, his biggest scars, and the challenges he is facing today. An important message to the younger generation and what everyone that is going through hardships and pain today needs to hear. A side of Sam you haven't seen or heard before. Enjoy. Sam back here. I'm so excited to have you on. Thank you so much for being on the show. We were talking about how you've gone through a lot of stuff and, and I've heard a few things and um, I want to get into, you know, the very beginning where you were born, how where you were raised and um, and just kind of start from there your childhood. Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, man, I want to congratulate you on your show. You know, and I think that um, you're doing so amazing, so much amazing things, and it's an honor and privilege to be on your show. So thanks for coming over and interviewing me. Um, as far as my story is concerned, man, gosh, I mean, where do I begin? I was born in Tehran, Iran. I was born in 1973. I don't care. I'm 46 years old, <laughs> and um, and uh, I remember um, that. Um, I, I remember a little bit about my dad. But my dad and my mom got divorced when I was three. And uh, as soon as the war started in Iran, my, they got divorced. My, my dad flew to Canada. And, um, and I never saw him again after that. So, um, you know, so I didn't know anything about having a father. I just have vague memories of him, you know, but not much. And um, I grew up without a dad with a single mom. My mom was a powerhouse, you know, kind of like you. A single mom that's doing everything, you know, just doing everything, being a great mom, great provider, great hustler. You know, she, she worked really hard and she did the best that she could, you know, with me. And she, you know, she provided me the best life that she could. She really put it all online. And I, you know, salute any woman that can do that. All the, 
all the single women out there that are just absolutely, you know, going out there. They're just not looking for a paycheck or, you know, looking for welfare support and like that, going out there and making it happen. I have so much respect for that. That's why I have respect for you, you know what I mean? So you're going out there doing it. But I remember from age three to 11, um, you know, we were at war and I was hearing bombs every night. Every night you have a rolling blackout of the city. You heard sirens and all you heard was boom, boom, boom. Either bombs were coming down or anti-air missiles were going up. And um, at that age, like I didn't know anything better. I remember everybody saying, hey, run to the basement, run in the basement, go hide underneath the stairs. You know, and that's what we did. But if you look in the sky, it looked like fireworks. It looked like Disneyland fireworks, but it, get, it wasn't Disneyland, it was war. It was serious war. And um, at uh, 11, when I was 11 years old, my mom was like, you know what? I don't want my only son to get drafted because at 12, they were drafting you to go to the military and, and die. So we escaped the country with $500, one luggage, and we came to France as refugees of war. And, um, in, uh, and, and when we were there for France for about a year, and then we came to the United States as refugees of war. Now, even my, on my green card, if you look at my green card, man, God, it looks like I'm fresh off the boat. <laughs> you look at it, I got, okay, I got, side, I got sideburns out there. I got, a hair, I got a bowl haircut, man. <laughs> you look at it, it's the funniest thing ever, man. Like everybody, everybody makes fun of me, man. I mean, you're fresh off the boat. We came to America. When I, when I was coming to America, Kayla, um, and I, you're too young to know about these shows, but, you know, back, when, back the shows, back when I was a kid, there were shows like called Dallas Dynasty and the A-Team. And those were like the, you know, the Kardashians of today. You know, everybody watched Dallas and Dynasty. It was a reality TV back then, but it was like, you know, TV series. And everybody, you know, they're living in Beverly Hills or they're living in Dallas. You know, everybody has Cadillacs and Bentleys and swimming pools and mansions. And so I thought, of, you know, from America, 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 you hear America, you think it's everybody has you know, mansions and Cadillacs and Bentleys, you know? Well, when they think of America, they think of just straight Hollywood. That's it. That's yes. all they think about. That's what I thought. Yeah. You 100%. <laughs> I, thought, I thought I was going to come into Beverly Hills. So my mom had, we only had one relative here, which was my uncle, my mom's brother, and he went to Youngstown State University. I didn't know what that was, you know? So when we flew to America, he picked us up at the Pittsburgh airport and drove us to a little town he lived in called Sharon, Pennsylvania. Now, Sharon is a little town with a population of about 20,000. To this day, the average income of a household is I think like 18 to 20,000. Household income, combined household income. And um, it's a very rundown old steel mill town that all the steel mills closed. And 1985 was the middle of crack cocaine epidemic. So, so many people were on drugs and, you know, and my uncle did what most Middle Easterners do when they come to America. He was an entrepreneur, so he had a convenience store in the hood, uh, you know, <laughs> you know, like, like a typical 7-Eleven, but it wasn't 7-Eleven, it was his own brand in the hood, yeah. you know. And what I mean in the hood is the roads were bricked. They weren't even paved. There were signs outside that says no loitering. You can't even walk around on the street, you'll get picked up. And literally outside of the... When you say picked up, picked up... By the police. The by the police. Oh, if you hang out too yeah, long. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Okay. You know? And when, when, when you were outside, you, you go outside of my... You, you see pimps, 
prostitutes, drug dealers, people, you know, take, you know, smoking crack. You know, I saw it all. I saw it all, you know. And that was my first impression of America. I was like, holy shit, abandoned buildings, brick roads, you know, you know, and I was in the middle of the hood, so it was predominantly black. Predominantly black neighborhood that my uncle's store was. And the funny thing, where, we, where he lived, where we lived with him for a few years, was total opposite side of town, which was the redneck part of the neighborhood. Mm. And matter of fact, I shot a documentary. It's so it's so funny when you I took my yeah, I went back, and we were just earlier we we're, we're editing the documentary. It's so funny because it's one extreme to the other. One extreme is all black, and the other one is like there's rednecks with Confederate flags, <laughs> and, and and like Camaros in the front yard, and like Harley Davidsons and guns and stuff. You know, it's 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 crazy. It's like right out of the movie. I can't even make this stuff up. You know, but, uh, you know, I have it documented, so my documentary is coming out, and I'll make sure you get an invitation to it. Yeah. We're gonna we're gonna run out of Chinese theater, and it's gonna be fun. Oh, are you really? Yeah, oh, yeah. Guys? Okay. So. Um, so yeah, so when I went to school, I didn't obviously didn't speak English. You know, I went to school as a seventh grader. I remember when I walked into school, it was like a Michael Jackson's Beat It video. As soon as I walked in, you know, I didn't look like anyone else. I mean, I, 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 it was like I stood, stood, I mean, I stood out like a sore thumb because I had these high socks on, you know, these shorts. You know, I have a briefcase. A bowl cut, a unibrow. And everyone was either white or black. Yeah, everybody it's was. I'm the, I was the only minority <laughs> in school. And I kept hearing everyone kept saying, what is you? What is you? Either people were wearing ACDC jackets uh -huh. or people were wearing LL Cool J jackets. And there was no in between, you know. And um, so I went to the counselor. I said, you know what? Um, I want to play football. I want to enroll. I want to learn English. I want to play football. They're like, yeah, football. I'm like. This country is weird. This is the foot. I know that. I know this is the hand. This is the foot, right? I said, football. No, they said, no, 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 no. That's called soccer. This is football in America. And, and I said, we don't have a soccer team. And I was devastated because that was my pride and joy. Ever since I was walking, I was playing soccer. Like, I literally would play six hours of soccer every day in my old country. And I was getting drafted to play for the national team. As, a, as young as I was 11, because I was that good. Wow. And I come in the middle of nowhere, America, they haven't even, they don't even know what soccer is. Mm -hmm. So now, imagine, you're 11 years old, you don't speak the language, you stick out like a sore thumb, you're the only minority in the school, you're short, you're skinny, so you know, imagine the name calling, imagine the bullying, imagine, I mean, I literally, I think, you know, got in 10 fights and I lost all of them. <laughs> I'm 0-10. But, but you played soccer, you were small. You didn't, like, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. be fast going between your legs. Yeah, it was crazy, man. It, 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 it was crazy. But when I look back at the time, when you go through devastation, at the time you were like, oh, my God, like, why me, why me, why me, why me, why me? You know, and then later on you found out that you know what, there was a reason that you went through everything in life, just like you have, you know, and um, so for people who are listening to this and our people who are going through something, life is going to, you know, punch you in the mouth. But instead of you saying, why me? Look life in the face and say, try me. Because God is not going to bless you 
before testing your faith. So every, every adversity you're going through, that's God's way of testing your faith. And if you're not passing the test, the blessing on the other side is not going to be ready for you. Or it's going to keep coming back in different ways or different versions of it until you learn the lesson that was meant to be learned. 100%, Absolutely. 100%. So I want to go back a little bit. Um, you now, you said your father left when you were three years mm -hmm. old. You literally have... Okay, do, first of all, do you have any memories of him? I do have slight memories of him. Yes, I do. I, I, I remember... I'm going to tell you a couple of memories. I remember a couple of times laying down with him and it felt so good having a dad in his arm, but, you know, you know, a couple of times laying with him. I remember him. I remember, like, as, it's, it's weird, Kayla, but I remember smelling him. Like, you smell your dad. I, sm I remember laying down with him and kind of, you know, how, how my baby right now, my 12 week old. So I remember that. I remember one time, though, I was out in the backyard. It was like 6 o'clock in the afternoon. Like, the sun was about to go down. I was playing with my toy cars. I was like, I don't know, I think three years old. And um, I remember my dad leaving. And my mom, right behind him, like chasing him down, yelling at him. You know, and I was like, why is my mom always yelling at my dad? You know? Yeah, I do. Yeah, it's crazy. I remember vividly that one, you know. And I'm like, why is my mom yelling at my dad? You know, I, I couldn't understand. So, you know, in my mind, I was like, why is my mom always mad at him? You know? And then, you know, later on, I found out that, well, he was an alcoholic. He had a gambling addiction. And he basically would go out as soon as he get a paycheck, would go out, blow it on alcohol and gambling. And my mom had to, like, pond off her jewelry and pond off, you know, whatever she had to be able to, like, buy diapers and milk, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, I mean, um, that's, when, that's when I found out the whole situation and everything. What did your dad do for a living? So my dad came from a very wealthy family. And so in the old country, if you're ultra wealthy, what they do is they don't, you know, they don't even raise you. They send you to boarding school, to the best boarding schools. So, mom, so even though he was raised in a very wealthy family, they sent him to boarding school in England. That was the, you know, if you, know, if you made it, that's what you do. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, but, so he never really had, you know, a father and a mother, you know, so he, so he grew up just in a boarding school, which they, they thought they were doing him a favor and giving him the best of education, but, yep. you know, now we know that there's nothing like, you, school is fine, but you need that foundation, you know, of, of, of mother and father, somebody to lay the law with you. A hundred percent, and we're just, uh, when I say we, me and my son, we talk pretty much about everything, and so... Um, that's what we noticed. So I'm from South Orange County, right? So we were talking about Laguna Beach. I used to work at a barbershop in Laguna Beach. And we would have, everyone that came in was mostly locals. And there was a lot of, like, you know, uh, teenagers that came in for haircuts and stuff like that. And I would have conversations with them. And uh, when they would come in, they would say, oh, I just got out of rehab. <laughs> and I'm like, how old are you? And they're like, oh, 17. I'm like, how long were you in rehab for? Like four years. Yeah. I'm like, how, what? And so that's when I started learning that Laguna Beach is actually has the most rehabs for children, but they grew up around money. But those are the kids that end up with the most problems, the most issues, the mo like because even though their family is, is, has money, they still have that negligence from their own parents yeah. and their parents have 
tons of issues that they're still dealing with, yeah. but they got money to cover it up. Well, you know, you know, a lot of times when we start making a lot of money, and, and it's not nothing against people who are rich or anything like that. It's just what you know our mentality changes because we think that money can solve pretty much everything. You know, so you know if you have a problem, we throw money at it. And say, oh, you know, money's going to help us, so I'm going to throw money, you know, I'm going to have somebody else just raise my children, and, 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 and they're going to just, no, that's, there's something that you just got to do yourself, you know, and so, so that's what the whole thing was, so my, 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 so my dad was an English teacher okay. in the old country, yep. Wow, okay, so he was an English teacher, so what, why did he go to Canada, do you know? Yeah, so in, you know, a brief history, my last name is Bakhtiar. So if you Google that name and look at the pictures, there's a guy named Shapur Bakhtiar, which was the prime minister of my old country under the old regime. He was my dad's uncle. So, so my great uncle was the prime minister of the country. And so when the revolution took over, when all the Ayatollah and you know, they, they, all the Islamic revolution just came in and took over, they had to get out of the country and he got out of the country. He went straight to Canada. Got it. And you have not spoken to him. Has he tried to reach out? Because I'm, you're everywhere. Yeah. So I'm sure he's seen He actually you. passed away. He passed away about 10, 15 years ago. And you know, it's funny because, you know, there's a, I don't know, there's that Tupac song that said, my dad passed away and I couldn't cry. That was me. You know, that was me. Like, my dad passed away, but I was trying to cry, but I couldn't cry. You know, it's like, because I don't know him. It's like, it's a total stranger. Like, I remember, uh, you know, when, when, when he went to Canada, like, he would call me every week or every other week or every month, and then became less and became less, because it's just a distance, right? Many years go by, become less. I remember when he first went to Canada, he sent me a remote control toy car. It was like a red Corvette. Mm -hmm. And I remember, oh, my dad sent me this. I was so happy. I still have that memory. You know, but after that, it was less and less and less. Then he got remarried there, and uh, and after that, it was that was it. Do you ever think about knowing that he passed away? Is there like, did you ever think about like what something you wanted to say to him when he was still here? You know what, man? I mean, you know, knowing what I know now. You know, I would have tried to help him. I would have tried to help him. I'm like, I'm like, you know, I mean, I mean, how can you, you know, to me, it's like weird. Maybe because I have a chip on my shoulder. Maybe because I never had a dad. And I think that's my superpower. Because I'm now overcompensating. I want to be the super dad. I want to be the super provider. You know, like, you know, you know, you know, I'll get whatever my wife and whatever my children need. Because we didn't have it. You know, so... To me, nothing in life is more rewarding for a man to be able to provide for his woman and his children. To me, that's my whole why. That's the whole reason for, for the way I exist. You know, I, I, I live to provide for my family. You know what I mean? And I don't know how a man can just like, you know, prefer partying or drinking over his children or, or his wife. I just, don't, I just don't get that. But so with that, that means, I mean, obviously there's addictions and things like that. So he had a problem. I was, I, I was trying to help him. You were trying to help yeah. Him. Wow. Okay. Um, I want, I would, 
love to talk about your mother. Okay. So, yeah. Um, tell me how how was that like? Um, you know, you said I know that she struggled. She was a struggle. Yeah. You know, single mom and with the experience yeah. and you yeah. know Jordan. By the way, my son is here. For those that don't know, he's. <laughs> um, he was when he was listening to your story. He was like, "We have so much in common." Yeah. And I was like, "How? How is that?" He was like, "You know, growing up single mom, food stamps, wig." Yeah. yeah. So, um, tell yeah, me. At least you admit it. Huh? You know, at least you admit it. Oh. You know, my mom was way too proud to ever admit it. You know, most people have racks to riches story. I have a racks to riches story. My parents and my grandparents and everybody else, they had riches to rack story. They had it all and they lost it all. Is that what happened? Yeah, yeah. Okay. They had it all and they lost it all. Whether it was gambling and alcohol or the government or whatever they want to, you know, do, do it. But, and, and there's nothing worse when I get around some of my relatives, older relatives. They talk about what they used to have and what they used to be. And that to me, I, I like all, I have to leave the room. And a lot of times I don't, I, I don't want to go hang out with them because I'm not into what I used to be. I'm about what I'm going to be. Exactly. You know what I mean? And, and oh, you know, we used to have this. And we used to have, what, what do you have now? Exactly. You know, so, um, yeah, so let's talk about my mom. <laughs> yeah, so she's, she's still here. Yeah, actually, she lives. Okay, yeah. cause I'm sorry, yeah. I didn't know about your phone. No, so yeah, like, no, no, she, no, she's here. Okay. And, um, well, okay, let's go back. Let's go back to growing up and, and what is, like, the best memories you remember of your mom growing up and the worst memories you remember of your mom growing up. Wow, okay. <laughs> wow, okay. I'm going to go on a camera and say that one of the biggest scars that I have is not right. I, I don't have a relationship with my mom. Today, yeah. I don't have a relationship with my mom. And I have tried and tried my best to have a relationship with her. But we just are in two different worlds and two different frequencies. And my mom came to America, but she's never evolved. You know, we come to America. Nobody is Native American except Native Americans. So we all are from somewhere. We come to America to evolve and become better and to, for ourselves to pick up what we like about American culture, what we don't like about American culture, what we like about the Mexican culture, what we like about whatever culture, and we kind of make our own little rules and set of rules for home. My mom is old school, Middle Eastern Persian lady that is just, she thinks there's one way, this is the only way. Now you, you were talking to me uh, about, oh me and my, my son talk about everything. I've never been able to talk to my mom like I was never able to say, Mom, guess what? I met a girl. Mom, guess what? Without being judged or without being condemned or without being, you know, um, you know, um, without her telling the whole family and making a huge deal and all that kind of stuff. But growing up, man, my mom, you know, my mom has been, she's, she's like a, a male and a female. She's so strong. She's strong. She's very, very um headstrong, very, very determined because she single-handedly provided for me. She single-handedly brought me to America. She did the best that she could. But as I got older, you know, 
she didn't evolve with her way of thinking. You know, um, you know, I had trouble when when I started working out. She was against that. You know, you know, because nobody, you know, in Iran, they don't work out. They don't put stress under their thing. I remember when I first shaved my arm, I served my leg for a bodybuilding thing, and she, she, she was crying. I mean, I mean, she literally, she literally cried, man. You know, you know, you know, she thought she'd lost her son. You know, um, I remember a couple of times that, you know, you know, if I had a, if I had a date, if a, if a, if a girl came to home, she'll open up the door and shut it in her face. You know, and and come back and just say, why is she dressed like that? You know, like like it was like that. I was never able to able never able to why, talk to her. Why do you think she did that? You know, I think she loves me so much, and she wants the best for me. However, you know, you can't be a dictator to your kids. You know, you you know, you know for me as a parent, all I can do for my children is to advise them and be a trusted advisor and coach them. You know, you know, I can't condemn them. I can't, you know, I can't, you know, I'm like, hey, this is what, basically, there's tr consequences in your choices. And I can show them all, all the way, but it, it wasn't. It was, for her, it was one word. I, I'll give you an example. Um, so, you know, um, you know, my first wife, she was black and French. If you can believe it or not, because my kids are super white. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> She's black and French, right? And um, but she was fair, very fair, like my color, you know. But my mom said, you know, I, she came up straight and told me, I don't want black grandchildren. Oh yeah, she was like, I don't want black grandchildren. You know, and 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 and, and just just ripped me. You know what I mean? I remember when I called her, told her, hey, I got engaged. She was like, to who? Oh. You know, and I've been dating someone for four years. I've been with, with the same girl for four years and, you know, you know, all that. I remember um, at my wedding, at my first wedding, well, I mean, you know, I, I was, I didn't, I wasn't a, I was just coming up. I was just starting my business, you know. Um, I think my first wedding was like, I don't know, $15,000 total, you know, <laughs> that's all I could afford, you know. And my mom came in, and I never got any help from her. And my mom said, oh, this, this is so ghetto here. You know? Oh, yeah. So, you know, so emotionally, she, she's done so much. Um, and um, so when I was married, she didn't like my ex. And my ex didn't like her. You know, and, and you know, it, 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 was, it was always, she like, first of all, on the record, she didn't like anybody I was with. You know what I mean? She was trying to hook me up with that Persian girl because in her eyes, you know, old school Persian thinking is like, you got to marry a Persian girl because they come from a nice family. They don't sleep around. They don't do this. And we know that's not true. We know, you know, everybody is their own people. You know what I mean? Everybody's their own people. We can't stereotype, you know, that kind of stuff. I found that out the hard way. Because I went out, I went out with a Persian girl, and let me tell you, they do. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> let me let, let, let me not get into that. But go ahead. So, okay, so and I thought you guys were close, and because you yeah. speak so, you just spoke about her. You always spoke uh, spoke highly of her because of what she's done for you and stuff like that. Um, so. 
Does she still live in Pennsylvania? No, she lives here. She lives in Eastville. She lives in Eastville, yeah. How, okay, so how far is that? About 15, 20 minutes. So you guys live 15, 20 minutes away from each other and you guys don't have a relationship. Sam, me and my parents live in the same city and we don't have a relationship. Your, your mom sounds exactly like And the thing is, is... Um, I didn't know that about you. It's, it's upsetting. They don't even have a relationship with my own son. Yeah. And, and what you just explained. Go ahead, go ahead. Let me finish. He gets better, Kayla. Okay. We gotta move. We just gonna get better. Okay. You want, okay. you want, you want, you want, you want to bring, you want to air my laundry. I'm gonna air it. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. All I'm gonna say is I understand you more than you know. Yeah, like, yeah. Like you and I, we have the same type yeah. of thinking. But please tell me more. No, so you know how how they don't they didn't like. So there, it came a time when my mom just. One thing after another, one thing after another, one thing after another. I, I remember going to Disneyland with my kids. And I took my mom, and I and I told the kids, I'm like, hey, if you guys want desserts, want ice cream, you gotta finish your broccoli. And I sat there, and I turned around, and my mom grabbed the broccoli from the plate and threw it away and act like they ate it, like one just disrespected me in front of my children, and like overriding me from everything I know because she wanted to control everything. Just like one of, one of many things. You know, when, when I got um, engaged to Crystal, you know, you know, she went and told Crystal and her mom, well, my, my son didn't ask my permission to marry you. I'm 44 years old. I, 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 as a 44-year-old man who's done okay for himself, I think I know what I'm doing. I don't do drugs. I don't do, I'm, not a, I'm not an alcoholic. You know, uh, you know, you know, I'm, I've done okay for myself, better than anybody else in the family. So I think I know what I'm doing. So she, you know, yeah. So like, you know, and, she, and she's like, you know what? There's six months left to the wedding. Anything still can happen. <gasps> yes, she, she, she said, said that. that and her mother. You know what I mean? And 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 I'm going like, I just told my mom like, mom, why? Well, just tell me why. You know, I mean, like, I don't, I don't get it. Like, why? So, so, no, so, you know, my mom, you know, one thing that I always respect about my mom is that this whole time that I was with my mom, I never saw her being around too many men, being around men and bringing men around and stuff like that. I never saw that. You know, once I graduated, I went to college. She got remarried. She got remarried and um, so, you know, they had their life in Pennsylvania and all that kind of stuff. And they were traveling because he, he worked for the government and he was like a, a doctor to the government, stuff like that, you know, to the embassy. So I guess my mom was ready to leave, but she didn't leave. She come back home one time and, and, see, and, and see, saw like a 20-year-old girl. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, he was like, he was like, with like a, and, and he, she thought it was like a maid or something. Oh. You know, she thought, yeah, it was, it was a maid or anything, right? So, so, um, so then she got divorced and then when she got divorced, then she's like, yeah, I'm just going to move here, be close to my son, and all, which I was all about it. She moved here, you know, and, but all throughout her life, she couldn't just be a grandmother or be a, she had, she had to come in and she'll come in and rearrange the furniture. She'll come in here and, and, 
and, and like would say something to Crystal that would offend her. She's always saying stuff, jabs at offending people, you know? And I'm like, man, I'm 44 years old. You know, she was like 67 or 68, you know? I, I, you know, uh, I'm like, how, you know, I, and I saw a pattern, I saw a vicious pattern. And rather than keep repeating the pattern, you know, I decided that, look, I love my mom. I'm gonna be for her financially if she needs me, but I can't give her my bandwidth. And I don't wanna be, I don't wanna subject my kids to bad energy. Because I tell you, when, whenever she's around, and she was around, every muscle in my body was tense. Crystal can feel it, everybody could feel it. I was just on the edge. Because I didn't know what's gonna come out of her mouth next. What is she gonna, what, what was she gonna do? sad though it's, it's really sad you know you know and and the funny thing is not you know when i cut my you know relationship with my mom and i just want to say i just want to keep it separate you know then her and my ex are now friends and she's hanging around with my ex with my children no yes you know and and and, and it's like the it, it's like the craziest thing kayla because because even my aunts and my uncles they're like dumbfounded they're like they're like what is she doing that no, I think she just wants to be with the kids. Obviously, right, she wants to see the children, but she shouldn't be with my children if she doesn't have a relationship with me. Does that make sense? And especially not going to hang around with my ex and her boyfriend and, you know, and my children. And we're like, are you serious? So, so that's why I know, like, you know, that as a mother, see, one thing that, I, that, that my mom never had that was always her core issue with me was certain things that are non-negotiable. Everything was maybe yes, maybe no. She couldn't decide on something and say, this is the only way. She could tell me the only way, but she couldn't, you know? And part of it is, is like this, I'm like, wait, you know, if, I didn't have a relationship with my daughter. I wouldn't got not gonna go hang out with her ex boyfriend or her, her ex husband and, and you know what I mean? There are certain things you just don't do. 
you know, and so that's uh, that's my mother, man. You want to know about her? Here you go. Yeah. So I got like super excited. Like, tell me about your mom. Yeah. No, no. It, it, you, you know, I love my mom. I respect her for what she did. And I've also learned what not to do with my children. You know, I became a doctor because my mom wanted me to become a doctor. Not because I want to become a doctor. The fact that you went through with that. Eight and years. Then, and then after you got, okay, I'm a doctor now. Can I please do my thing? The fact that you respected her so much yeah. at that point of, just doing what made her happy. Yeah. But then you were able to do what you wanted. I know her lifelong dream was to say my son was a doctor. And you made that happen. I made I made that happen. And then after that I wanted to start my gym business and I and I started it. And then look at you now and she still can't just You know, in a perfect world, man, you know, she would just come in and be a grandmother and come here and enjoy enjoy everything and this 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 was her time for her to enjoy life. And she missed it. So, 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 growing up, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be that parent. You know, I'm not going to force anything on my children. I'm just going to advise them. You know, when growing up, Kayla, I didn't have a dad. I didn't have any siblings. I'm the only child, and I didn't have a mom to talk to. So, I'm a horrible communicator because I, I, I just don't. I would never communicate it. So, even right now, you know, I'm becoming a better communicator because, because of Crystal. You know, you know, a lot of times in the beginning, she's like, you just don't talk to me. You don't say anything. I learned that, you know, from the very beginning, I'm just going to, whatever I'm going to go through, I'm going to keep my mouth shut, go through it. And once I go through it, once I overcome it, then I'll talk about it. Crystal, she has a, you know, she's Mexican. She has all this close family and cousin, this and that. She's going through something. About 67 people know about it. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? I mean, you know what I mean? Yeah, the whole the whole community knows about it, right? And and I'm going like I just shake my I'm not used to that. You know, I'm used to that. I go through it, nobody knew. When when I got divorced, nobody knew about it for like months and months and months. You know, I was living in a hotel, Kayla, I didn't tell anyone. I just went to work like nothing happened. No, our family is 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 not big. It's not it's not tight. It, you, it was tight. We were in the old country where my grandparents were alive, you know. Um, but then we all some went to Germany, some went to France, some came to America, and um, yeah. Okay, got it, got it. So, all right. Well, we're not going to say. Tell us a little bit more, like getting up to. Um, so your childhood, and then like you know around high school time. I know you talked a little bit about uh, being in a uh, school with being just completely different. When did things start changing for you? Where things started kind of you started realizing who you were, what you liked, yeah. and stuff like that. How did that start? So when I came to America, I felt like I, w I didn't belong. And you know that belonging is one of the primary human needs. We all want to be accepted. We all want to belong. And not being black, not being white, not you know, knowing the language, I've not known any of the sports everyone else knows. I didn't belong. So I, you know, remember I tried out for the basketball team and I got cut. You know, that was so devastating. You know, coming from a star soccer player, was getting drafted for a national team to nobody who got cut from a team and getting ridiculed. Um, 
you know, you know, I started going to the boys' club to try to get better at basketball, and I fell in love with weightlifting. You know, and I started working out. And once I started developing like a little bit of baby muscles, I started feeling better about myself. I started having better self-esteem, and you know, and I felt like people were noticing me more. And um, that's when I was like, wow, okay. You know, I felt better, you know, you know, because, you know, emotionally as a teenager, you know, I was so, I was so down. Back then, I mean, back then bullying was a fact of life. It wasn't if you get bullied, it's when you got bullied. You know, you got bullied by somebody, whether it was a kid in your class or a kid in the upper class, there was always a kid bigger than you. You know what I mean? And, um, and you know, now, gosh, I, I, I walk around the hallways in school, there's like bullying hotline, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And I don't wanna, bullying is a terrible thing if you let it be a terrible thing. Right. You know, for me, bullying make me tough. Bullying, I, I use bullying to fuel my drive. I use bullying to fuel my gym workout. I use, I use bullying to get better, you know, and I guess that's a metaphor for life. You know, bullying is adversity. Bullying, you know, is, is, is you know, you have somebody about to punch you in the mouth, whether it's life or whether it's another kid. What are you going to do? I mean, it, it gets you prepared for life because life isn't, you know, unicorns and rainbows. But I think I, I, I commented actually on one of your posts about bullying. And I, when I read your post, I kind of got fired up. And yeah. I, I think I left like a long old comment. And I'm just like, I, you know, I, I'm just so sick and tired of seeing these kids. Just they're nowadays, they're just, they're, they're babies. I, I don't know what else, yeah. to, how to say yeah. it, but it's like bullying. Not that I'm saying that bullying is okay. No, no, we would definitely not say that. Yeah, yeah. but I'm, what, I'm, what I'm referring to is exactly what you're saying. Bullying was a way of getting you prepared for real life issues because when you're out with the real world. Well, I, got, I got bullied by a girl. <laughs> yeah, I got bullied by a girl. I'm a straight. I'll tell you that. You know, when I came to America, you know, I'm like, what? Well, you know, I'm five five. I think at that time I was like five foot tall. I was like a hundred pounds. You know. You know. Because you guys were in a different third world country, so like you're worrying about living rather than bullying. Is that? I don't. I don't remember bullying in, 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 in Iran. I don't remember any of that because I was there to like fourth or fifth grade. I should have probably known or noticed. And you're right, we're more worried about getting bombed on and getting bullied. But I think bullying is in every species and it's in, in the nature that somebody more dominant or somebody a bigger species or a bigger lion is gonna try to dominate the smaller lion and things like that. That's what bullying is. I don't, I don't think it's, it's, I think it's a species thing, right? And that's why when you, that's why, I don't know if you know, when in the farm, if they wanna pick a dog, you know, and that litter, they get the smallest dog in the litter. Why? Because that small dog got picked on by the bigger dog and he's the toughest son of a bitch out of all of them. It's called the runt of the litter. Wow. So I'm the runt of the litter. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, okay, so you got bullied. 
Yep. Um, so, you know, yeah, that that in itself will definitely gain the confidence. Um, when, so, okay, so high school, um, did you end up, you, so you just got into bodybuilding. You didn't really get into... Yeah, so, I, no, I never got into basketball. You know, I, I, learned, I fell in love with, you know, not only what weightlifting did for me on the outside, but how it made me feel on the inside. You know, um, you know, you know, right now, you know, some people always talk to me, Sam, are you, um, do you, like, being short ever bother you? And I look at him like, honestly, no. Like, I mean, honestly, like, I, I don't, I, that's never been an issue with me. You know, like, I've never, like, I wish I was taller. And, you know, because I got short guys, you know, messaging me, like, you know, I'm short. That, that ever, like, you know, I'm like, no. You know, uh, shoot, I, you know, if it was, I, my ex-wife was 5'11". Like, like, like my 10-year-old my is almost as tall as me, you know, so when I take her to church and drop her off, they're like, who's this? I'm like, my kid, like, yours? You know what I mean? So, um, when we met, we had working out in common, we had partying in common, you know, and, and um, you know, and then we got, you know, we, we lived together for a few years, and then I felt like after dating for so long, at least I owed her to marry her, you know what I mean, and, and you know, and, and so we did, and, and, and we have two beautiful children from that and there's no regrets there for me whatsoever you know um, however you know we got married in 2007 and in 2008 the recession hit and I literally you know remember you know at one time you know I never wanted to have kids till I was financially secure so once I thought you know I was financially secure you know we started trying to have kids and literally, when she was six months pregnant, that's the was a middle recession. I had a meeting with her at a, you know, at a restaurant right here in Chino, and I said, "Man, we're negative three hundred dollars in our account. Payroll is due in, t in two weeks. It's like nineteen thousand dollars. We don't have anything." And that's when I said, "You know what? Don't you know? Stay home. You know, take care of yourself. Don't worry. I'm gonna go out there do whatever I can." So I literally, Kayla worked like 18, 20 hours a day, literally, you know, five, seven days a week. You know, I would come home so defeated because I would feel like, oh my God, Sam, you're gonna be just like that loser father you had. To this day, to this day, my biggest fear, to this day, after all this you see, my biggest fear is waking up and not be able to provide for my family. That's my biggest fear of all, not death, not anything, for me, that's my biggest fear, you know? And my biggest fear was just happening to me and I was bringing a kid in this world. So my self-esteem and my whole thing was just shot. And this was after you were making millions. Yeah, I wasn't making millions. Oh. You know, I wasn't making millions. I was, I was, I would say I was barely a millionaire. Barely a millionaire. 
barely a millionaire. I mean, like, I'm talking about like with all the assets combined and everything like that. I was barely a millionaire, you know, and I was doing well. Yeah, I, I, you know, I had two homes, you know, I had, I had, I, you know, I had two homes, you know, I had some nice cars, I had some money in the bank, you know, and next thing you know, you know, I kept putting money back in the business, putting money back in the business was bleeding, business was bleeding. Next thing you know, I had, I had nothing. So next later I started working and I would come home so defeated. I would just come home. I remember sitting on the couch and she would be talking. I'm like, I don't hear, I couldn't hear anything she was saying. Cause I was just like, you know, I was like, it's almost like PTSD syndrome, you know? And we just started growing apart and growing apart and growing apart. And um, it's crazy, Kayla. You know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk about some things that I've never talked about before. And, and, and this will, this will, it, it, it's just crazy. So we got in a fight in 2011. And we just got in a big fight, a big blowout. She yelled at me, I yelled at her, you know, this and this and that. And I didn't think nothing of it. And I remember being at work and I got some papers. And I threw the papers, all right, whatever. And, I mean, we literally got in a fight and about four days later we were back together, right? So, and in the meantime, we have another kid. Haley Jean. And um, when Haley was born, you know, in 2014, we get another big fight. So we got like big, a big fight every three years or something like that, right? And then she come, when we get a big fight, and then she's like, why did you leave the house? And I said, well, why would I want to leave the house? I'm like, I'm going to sit downstairs, you sit upstairs, we're going to hash it out after a week or so, figure out what we're going to do. She goes, well, I'm to, you better leave the house before I call the cops. And I'm like, I'm not calling the cops. <laughs> you know what I mean? So the cops come and, and they come to like, they knock on my door and she's like, they're like, what are you doing here? And I got smart. I'm like, no, what are you doing here? This is my house. You know? And they're like, well, did you know that you have a restraining order against you? And I'm like, what do you mean restraining order? She's like, yeah, and it's about to expire next week. But I'm like, I'm like, how can I have a restraining order if I've been living here? She's like, well, you have one on record. And, uh, yeah, and had another child. What? Yeah, so, so, so there's two cops, and they're looking at each other like, and I looked at one of them was like, well, I got to take you to jail. The other one was like, well, let's, let's see what's going on. I go, look, there was a picture of my daughter, which is one years old, right? And I said, look, I go, you see my daughter right there? She's one. How can I have a restraining order for three years? You tell me. And they both looked at each other like, what is going on? Like they've been dumbfounded. So they're like, you know what? We don't know what's going on. Why don't you get your clothes and, and, and just leave? And that's when I know I was done. So I got my clothes. I went, in, I went to... A, a hotel here in Chino Hills. Chino Hills Hotel, $67 a night. <laughs> <laughs> I was, <laughs> shout out, you know. And, um, and when I went to, to, to figure out what happened was the one time that we had a big fight, she automatically sent me a restraining order. And that was three years prior. And that was three years prior. That's the one, the paper that I got that I didn't think nothing of. You know what I mean? I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm in the middle of work. I'm like, okay, whatever this is, I'll, I get to it later. But we got back together like three days later. But this whole time she knew I had a restraining order against me. 
and never told me or never retracted it or anything like that. So the next time we had a fight, she used it. But thank God, the cops were like, they could took me to jail. But they didn't. They're like, you know what? This something doesn't make sense. Something was going on. So that's when I knew that I was 100% out of that relationship. So, so everybody looks at this like, oh, Sam, oh my God. It is. These are the stuff you go through life to build what you want. Nobody goes going to go through life and defeat it. I fucked up everything. I messed up everything. But I'm still here. Right. 100%. Um, so what is the relationship like now? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> is this too personal? No. Let's get into it. Oh no! What, what? I'm sure it's casual because kids, right? No, it, it well, it, it, it's 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 pretty bad, actually. Um, well, you know, when I got remarried, obviously she didn't even want the kids to go to the wedding. I have to go to court to get an, a a statement from the court. Have the judge say the kids have to go. We have to fight over that. But doesn't she have a boyfriend? I think yeah, I think she does, but I don't know. She's still. Well, you know, you know, the, the whole issue, Kayla, is this. When she kicked me to the curb, basically, you know, because, because if, if, when you issue a restraining order, you basically kick somebody to the curb, right, for no reason. Um, it was 2014. Now, remember, from 2007 to 2013, I barely made anything. Remember, it was a recession, right? I think... The biggest year I had was 150,000 that year. In 2013, I made 300, but that was the last year. I w we didn't even finish 2013. We got separated September 2014. Then after that, obviously my income doubled and quadrupled and quadrupled. So she's bitter. Can you hear me? Yeah, so she's bitter. She, she's bitter now that you know I have a you know young wife much hotter than her. You know, much hotter than her. I mean, let's just be real, you know, and um, a lot younger. And now I'm doing well in life. And it, you know, and, and she kicked me to the curb right before I started doing well. But you guys are also kind of, it sounds like it was such an on and off fight and good, like, relationship before so it wasn't like it you know it wasn't like she it didn't start working out or having problems around the time that you were losing money so it, do you, was it was it having no no it has nothing it has, it has not nothing to do with money we, we know we're just having issues you know we're just not in the same page on a lot of things you know and 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 the fact is that me not having a father i never wanted to have a relationship and then divorce i never wanted that so i would have never pulled the trigger even though I was not happy, she wasn't happy, I wasn't pulling the trigger. So going back now, remember I said everything happens for you for a reason. A lot of times we try to avoid something in life. No, no, I don't want to do this. I want to do this. And then it happens. And we're like, why, 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 why? Because God is pushing you towards something greater than you wanted for yourself. Because I could have still been in a relationship, be miserable, and we raise kids in a in a miserable relationship. Now, you know, I'm in a much better place if it wasn't because of that. So I can go back and say, thanks to my ex for kicking me to the curb. Right. And, and say if you were to stick around, 
have necessarily brought you to this point. 100%. Because, you know, have being in that toxicity could be holding you back from putting in your full potential. Kayla, the camp, so Kayla, the camp blew up when we got separated. The reason was, was this. I literally lived in Chino Hills Hotel for four months. And I literally sat in that hotel, in that room, many nights and just cried. And I, you know, because I'm like, fuck, I'm 40 years old. I was 40 years old. I'm 40 years old. I'm not a young person anymore. So I'm 40 years old. In the past seven years, I've been going through a recession. I was broke. Now I'm starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel. And now I lost my family. So I, I literally asked God, I'm like, why? You know, I, that, I, that's when I had that talk with God. Like we always, sometimes we have that talk about, why God, why me, why me? Why are you doing this to me? You know, so I was like, all right, what am I gonna do? You know, I'm single now, 40 years old. I'm like, what do single people do? Do I go to the club, you know, start hanging out, start doing all the crap that I used to do in my late 20s and early 20s, you know? And I'm like, wow, it's, it's, no, man, I can't do that anymore. I don't want to be the old man in the club, you know what I mean? You know, there's always that one old dude in the club, you know what I mean? And I don't want to be that dude, you know what I mean? And I'm like, you know what? My top priority is spend time with my children. So since that's taken away, because I now see them on Wednesday and, Wednesdays and on the weekends, my second priority is what? Provide for my children. To me, that's my second thing, right? You know, um, my, my main thing for, for existence. So basically, for every minute that I wasn't with the children, I was either in the gym or working. I would fall asleep in that hotel with a computer on my chest, just working, 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 till, you know, we started blowing up the camp. We started franchising the camp. We started you know, expanding, you know, expanding and expanding and expanding. And yes, you're right, 100% right. Wasn't because of that divorce. I was still probably being back to the old house. I still would have had, you know, I would have been okay. So when did Crystal get into the picture? Because obviously the universe did its job, aligned with stars, and it happened. So, so it's, it's funny because um, I was just concentrating on work. And I wasn't, I wasn't ready for a relationship. Sure, I dated, you know, a girl or two. Not, you know, I didn't want to, you know, I, you know, I dated, I think, two girls, you know, but nothing serious. And they wanted more serious from from me. And I was like, no, I'm not, I, I'm not. I'm just want to work. Children, if you want to go out once in a while, cool. But I let people know from the get go. So I remember, you know. I, I used to get my mail at the Chino location at, at the thing because since I'm not living in the house, I didn't, you know, and I never checked my mail in the apartment. I just had everything go to work and in the gym, you know, you know, I live in the hotel, right? I get, you know, get my, get my, so all my mail went to the Chino location and I, every once a week I would stop and get my mail and, and all that kind of stuff. So I stopped one day and I saw, you know, get my mail and I saw Crystal and, 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 and she was so nice, so polite. She was very bubbly. You know, it's funny because she said I met her before at a Christmas party, but I don't remember because I, w I had a few drinks at a Christmas party. So I remember she goes, remember I met you before. But, but that's the first time I remember seeing Crystal. And, um, and, and I, I, I called the manager there, you know, because we were friends with the, ma I was very good friends with the manager. Crystal was the assistant manager now, a new hire. And I told the manager, I said, you know, who's this new girl? I'm like, I need to fire her. You know, and, and she's like, 
why? What did she do? She was all, well, what did she do? I go, I go she's kind of cute. I'm going to date her. And I was totally, totally kidding. You know, I, w I was. I was totally kidding. It was a total joke. It was a total joke. Because one, I've never dated an employee before. I've never even, you know, when I would, never. You know, that was, that was a rule. And she was way younger than me. I would, I would, I would you know, it was, it was never, you know, it was, it was a total joke. And they always say, be careful what you say. They always say, be careful whether it's true or not. Or don't say it if you don't. And I just said that, right? And for the next two years, like, I would occasionally stop by and get the mail. And we say, hi, hello, we have a casual conversation. And that was, that was it. It was, it, like, every once in a while, you know, and, uh, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And, um, and you know, we just talk, started talking a little bit more about nothing crazy. You know, I was going out with a couple of girls. She was dating, you know, someone, I guess, or whatever. But it was never, I've never said, hey, let's go out or anything like that. Yeah. Her birthday was coming up. Her uh, birthday was coming up. And she said, Sam, come to my birthday. And I said, all right, well, okay, cool. Because I was coming back from Dallas or something like that. I said, all right, when I get back from Dallas, I'm going to come straight and meet you guys for your birthday. So I went to her birthday and, and we started hanging out. And we started like, getting closer. You know, and I'm like, oh, this is weird. You know, this is like totally weird. Like, I'm, I, I was kind of weirded out. I'm like, oh my gosh, she's so much younger than me. She works for me. Like, you know, I was actually like, like I don't know. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, I was like, I don't know. And um, so then we started texting more, talking more, and then I'm like, oh my god, you know what? This ain't, this is, this ain't cool. I gotta meet. I said, I said, I gotta tell my business partners. So I told my business partners, and they're like, well, let's run it by HR. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, so we ran it by HR since I wasn't her immediate supervisor. What do, you, what, do you, what do you say when you go to HR? Like, what did you say? Well, you know, we, we just said, hey, you know what? I'm dating somebody in this position in the company. Okay, so you're already dating at this point. It wasn't just... Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, yeah we're, 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 we're not... I'm thinking about dating. Let's just say that. Okay. You know what I mean? We weren't dating. I said, I'm, you know, kind of, you know, I have an interest in this person, in this company. And they're like, well, you know, I, I guess what the HR rule is that you can't be their immediate supervisor. Okay. You know, you know, so, you know, so, you know, you know, that's, that's the HR rule. And, and, and I was like, well, I'm not, you know, I'm not her immediate supervisor, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So, so we got okay from that. But then even then, I was very apprehensive, you know, because... In my, you know, Crystal is young. Crystal is beautiful, and I wasn't looking for someone to. I wasn't wait. I didn't want to break her heart. I didn't want to. Okay, you know, when, if, when I was in my twenties, would have been a different story. You know, I would all oh, let's get with her and we'll just, you know, get a consequence. And when you get in your forties, you, you look at everything and be like, well, I don't want to, you know, I don't, I don't want to to get close and something happens. So I looked at it from. A parent, you know, since I'm, a, since I'm a dad, I'm like, what would I think if my daughter all of a sudden wants to date somebody 20 years older? And I'm like, I'm not sure I'll be okay with that. I, I, to this day, I still am not sure if I'm going to be okay with that. So I, I said, well, Crystal, I'm like, what is your parents think? I want to meet your parents. Yeah. And what's she saying? So, sure. You know, so I went and met, met her mom, her dad, and they're very cool, very receptive. I wish I was... But that is a cop, you know what I mean? So I'm like, you know, you know, so I was on my toes. And when we saw that, okay, well, everybody is cool, then we started dating. And it's funny because 
My business partners were cool with it. My parents were cool with it. We were cool with it. But then when we all of a sudden started dating, the public wasn't cool with it. Because public always has their opinion. And for people who are listening to this, always remember, no matter what you're going to do, somebody's going to have the opinion of it. Only, there's only a few people in the world that their opinions should matter to you. And you guys know who that is. But the most important person's opinion is the man upstairs and your opinion of yourself. And the fact that you Yeah, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't, you know, what, I, I wasn't into, you know, I wasn't about to start a relationship knowing that's going to fail. You know what I mean? Not, you know, not for, not for anything. You know what I mean? I was like, nah, I'm, I'm, I'd rather just be friends and be cool forever, right? And then all of a sudden start a relationship and it goes back. Because I've done that before in my 20s. We all have done that before. You know, we all done that before, right? You know, we, we start a relationship, we don't really think about it. We, you know, it's kind of hot and heavy at the moment, you know, and then we, we forget it. But when you get older, you look at it from a bigger perspective, you know? And I was like, all right. Yeah. And now here you are with a brand new baby. Yeah. Oh, um, okay, I don't want to say his name wrong. Um, Saman. 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 Yes, yep. Alexander. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's just my absolute joy and apple of my eye, you know, and it's so crazy even like looking back, you know, like who would have thought? Me and Crystal to this day, we wake up and like I can't believe like you're my wife. And like and she's like, I can't believe you're my husband. Like it's crazy. Like who would have thought? Like it's just how life works. How how old is he now? He is um almost four months. Almost four months, and he's like so cute, and he starts recognizing you now, and he starts smiling and giggling, and and he's this chunky little thing, man. It's so cute. How's Haley and Bailey doing? Yeah, so Haley and Bailey, they lo they love their brother, you know, and you know Haley a little more than Bailey, because Bailey's now like ten years old, and gosh, like it's weird, Kayla, because. Like, they're developing faster these days, I think. I don't know. You know, because... What do you mean developing, like, mentally? Like, 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 I mean, she's, like, 10 years old, but she's, like, almost like a teenager. Like, acts like a teenager, talks like a teenager, um, has an attitude like a teenager, and is developed like a teenager. Like, I remember, not, you know, a few months ago, you know, we're like, hey, guys, okay, after the pool, get in the bath, I'm going to come back and rinse you guys off. And I go to the bathroom, I'm like, oh, shoot. I'm, oh, Crystal, I need your help with Bailey. I can't. I, 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 you know what I mean? So it, it's, it's crazy. Like, I'm like, she's 10. I'm like, oh, my God. Like, where's, where's the boobs come from already? You know what I mean? And no, everything. I, I say that, too, with Jordan, because you, you look at him, and you don't even think that he's 12. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. He's, like, huge. But it's like, what are they putting in their food? Yeah. Like, <laughs> they're just, yeah. They're, they're so much bigger. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, there's, there's just one question. So, okay, so I did a, a, a small little post about like, hey guys, podcast with Sam Betts here coming up. What questions do you want me to ask? So I picked like the I top three. I started a post, three. yep. I picked the top three. Okay. And um, so one of them, which I wanted to 
um, asking myself. So this was a big one that I got. Um, how did you manage to go from completely broke with nothing to a multimillionaire in just five years? How did, how did that happen? So you always say you're only one idea one person away from your next million dollars. You always hear that, right? Mm -hmm. And it's so true. And it's so true. You know, in life, you don't need huge things to happen. You might just need a little tweak on an existing thing for you to just get a home run. When you look at, when you look at, you know, a, a football game, when the running back is running through, he just needs a small little opening for him to be a touchdown. And that's what I needed. And I found that small opening in that hotel room, working my ass off 24 seven. I figured out how to scale the business, how to market the correct way, and how to get people to be able to sign up for our programs and reward them in a way that's never been done before. And when that idea comes to you, sometimes it comes to you at the craziest time. It literally come to, came to me at the craziest time. And I've actually ran with it, just like Thomas Edison did like 10,000 experiments. I've literally have done 60 different experiments, 70 different, I didn't know a thousand, but I've, I've done 60 different versions of what I call the weight loss challenge. I came up with the idea. And the all, some of them did okay. Some of them fell miserably. Some was like, oh, you know, it was all right. But then I found the perfect thing and I tested it. And it kept repeating the same results and results and results and results for people. And that's where how we were able to sit down and scale the business to a whole new level. Yeah, because exactly five years ago, you know, I made it, I lost it, and I made it again and 10x it. So you, you, you see that meme when that guy is like, you know, trying to find the gold, right? Trying to find the gold and trying to find the gold. Most people quit, but they can be this close to it and people quit. But if you set up a plan and just execute the plan and know that there's going to be times that you're going to get knocked down. There's going to be times that you want to quit. There's going to be times that you just feel like giving up. I didn't. I didn't. I just kept going. I just showed up, you know, and if you just keep showing up and putting the work, like I said, you need one small idea or one person away from your next million dollars. That's okay, so next question. Uh, the, the biggest challenge you've ever faced and how you overcame it. I know there's many challenges that you've overcome. What was the biggest in your eyes and how did you overcome it? God, I'm trying to figure out which one is a bigger challenge. As so many of my life has been, has been a series of challenges, you know. Um, I would say I'm still going through that because my divorce is not final. Mm. You know, she's still like is dragging it out. I'm, I'm, my divorce is final, and for me to get remarried, but she's still coming after me for more money. Oh, okay. Right. 
you know, now my biggest challenge is this. You know, when 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 I got divorced, and obviously, you know, I had to go get a lawyer. Then I found out that not only did I have to get a lawyer, I have to get her a lawyer. Right? So I'm paying for my lawyer and I'm paying for her lawyer. And there's nothing worse than paying for somebody who's like who's against you and like and 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 slandering you in court slandering you in court (laughs) you know what i mean you know i i heard chris rock one time say that you know he he went through a similar situation he goes you pay for somebody you know for for an attorney to represent your ex is like you telling the sniper hey i'm gonna be at this place at this time shoot me (laughs) you know what i mean so is it because she's not even well because she she was a stay-at-home mom you know and you know and so 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 then when you go through something like that you know it just becomes ugly you know and to this day man i mean like we were i still got court days coming up you know and even though like like i said i had my business before her i had my homes before her nothing was done during marriage i was i had a way all that stuff but talk about that yeah like i mean like 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 it, it, it was it, like i had everything before but when yeah. you go through something like that it's like you have to go through this huge process of court and just huge negative energy and huge going back and forth which to this day i'm dealing with so i would say the divorce and going through the whole divorce process with court and dealing with a scorned ex is is good my mom and my dad got divorced when i was three my mom never got a red cent from my, my dad. I mean, not even a single red cent from my dad. No, she said, you know, I don't need that. She was too, so I, I, I get them, you know, get, I get it for myself, right? She was too proud. And to this day, she has never said one negative thing about my dad to me. Not one negative thing about my dad. Everything that I told you, I found out from other people. In front of me, you always say, your dad was great. It just didn't work out between us. Never threw his dirty laundry on and never told me anything and all that kind of stuff. Now, on this side, on this side, you know, I'm providing with her home that I don't have to. You know, you know, I mean, it's my home, but they're living in it, but I'm not paying for it, but I'm taking care of it. She's getting alimony and child support in the five figures a month. Mm, and she's asking for more money? Yeah, okay. yeah. In, in the five and and then when I see my kids, they're dressed in like Walmart clothes. Not that I care. I don't care. And they, can, they can wear whatever. But at least at least you know they're my pride and joy. At least dress them up nice, you know, and, and all that kind of stuff. So it, it kind of that whole process it, it, it is is such an ugly thing if you if there is somebody who is scorned in in, a, in in the relationship. what, you know, how deep are you willing to go on this? But you said, I actually am going through stuff right now. I'm very transparent. Is mm-hmm. that what you were talking about? Absolutely. I mean, look, you know, here's one thing I need everyone to understand. And everybody who's listened to this or watching this, they need to understand, you know, just because you've made it, that doesn't mean you don't have any problems. I mean, in life, there's three stages of problems. You're either in one, just left one, or headed towards one. Mm. You feel me? Yeah. So there's no there's no such a thing, you know what I mean? It's just different type of problems. And now 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 I don't I'm not worried about being foreclosed on the house. 
is paid for. <laughs> I don't. I don't want you to. Everything's paid. I don't, I don't have to worry. Now I have different issues. Now I have issues like, oh, you know, people try to sue you, or or wow, hey, you know, I have a. I have a sprinter. If I go to a, if I if I take a bunch of people with me in my in my in my big sprinter van, if somebody gets hurt, will I get sued? Will they come after me? These are the kind of stuff that now I have to worry about because you made it financially. So, and I think that's so important because you know, obviously, looking at you and your life on the outside in and your social media stuff like that, people forget that you are a human. Just like everybody else that has problems, just like everybody else, regardless of what you have, because at the end of the day, what you have doesn't matter, right? Mm -hmm. So that's why I started this because I, to get that part of you and, yeah. you know, other people. Well, you got it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I did. I, I only get you to cry, though. Oh, man. <laughs> just kidding. No, no. But, you know, it's just, it, it's so important to, to remember that, that, like, even though it looks like so good on the outside you still go through issues but your is how you handle it so how you deal with it and, and what you do with it and stuff like that so how, how many times kayla have you gone through stuff and you thought oh my god it's the end of the world this is the worst thing ever and i, I don't know how i'm going to overcome that and you overcame it plenty of times time. so now when things happen to me i'm like Dude, I, got, I survived being bombed on. I survived Sharon, Pennsylvania. I survived all of these things that I've gone through. And so I will survive this as well. You just have to have faith. You know, you just have to, when, when you know, I love, I love this analogy, you know, when, when, I, when I use, you know, have you ever seen, you know, this is my favorite thing, you know, when a boxer or MMA fighter gets punched in the face and instead of like doing, they smile, they look at the other guy like, that's a good one, you got me. That's not how I approach life. When life punches me in the face now, instead of retreating and, oh my God, it hurts. Oh my God, why me? I just smile like, good one. You hit me before. I'm sure there's something good at the end of this. So I'm going to figure out what this is. You have to have that approach. Right. You can't play the victim game. And you don't know how strong you are until when you go through that. Like you, you just know Yeah. Okay, so the third question, um, I'm only doing the, last, the top three from my following. Um, knowing you were literally broke at age 40 and just five years turning everything around, most people struggle with the mindset that it's too late for them. Other than the obvious, it's never too late, what's the best advice you can give for them pursuing their own dreams regardless of their age? So, for me, life is about having a purpose. It's about getting up and having a mission. And if you get up each morning and you just don't have a mission, and you don't have something that you're passionate about working towards, then whether you're 18, 25, 30, or 50, then life is not worth living. So for me, it was never an age, it's never been an issue or thing that come to my mind, is what is my purpose? Because the purpose is what 
what's going to wake me up. The purpose is what's going to drive me. The purpose and the mission is going to, is, is what's going to make me want to do things when I don't feel like doing it. You know, and as long as I get up and I have a mission and I have a purpose and I have something to look forward to, I'm going to get up whether I'm 90, whether I'm 50, whether I'm 25, or whether I'm 10. You know, and for me, the mission, I can't quit. I got children. I got crystal I got to take care of. I got people that I feed. I got, I got, I got to change people's lives. There's people, employees that depend on me to perform. There's franchisees that depend on me to perform. So if I'm not performing, I'm not letting anybody else down. So my mission is just not me. It's a lot greater than just me. So until your mission, you gotta be greater than just for you. If it was a, oh man, if it's because, oh Sam, what kind of car I'm gonna buy next, I wanna be able to get out, who cares? I mean, we all know this fact. When people retire, unless they started having another purpose, they pass away short after that. We know that. It's a fact. Okay? So what happens when you retire? All of a sudden you retire and all of a sudden you don't have purpose. You don't have nothing to look forward to. Whether it was you know, work or anything else, you don't have nothing to look forward to. And if you get up and you don't have nothing to look forward to, God's going to take you out. Because, you, you know, basically you don't have any more mission on this earth. So always find something that you want to work towards. Always find something that you're passionate about. Something that's going to wake you up in the morning early at 3 a.m. when it's dark outside, when it's snowing outside, when it's blizzarding outside. That you want to still get out and do shit and keep you up at night. Even though you've been up since 3 o'clock in the morning and you just obsess about getting this mission done. If you don't have that in life... Find it. All right, my last two questions for you, um, and this is really important. Uh, as you know, as being a mother and having a 12-year-old son, uh, what would you tell our younger generations that you may have wished you heard from your idols growing up, or what advice would you give them at this age? The advice that I will give the younger generation is to be careful who you surround yourself with. You know, guard guard your time and have goals and work relentlessly towards them. To me, proximity is everything. When I go to a room and I see, you know, young kids that are in a seminar that are trying to learn, trying to better themselves, these young entrepreneurs, it makes my heart happy. I was talking in the same event, you, were, you talked, you talked uh, on Friday, you know, I think we were different days, I didn't see you there, but when I, when I talked, when I looked at these guys and these ladies, I'm like, first of all, I wanna congratulate you. You know, you were so young, you were out here trying to better yourself. I didn't even get my shit together till I was in my early 30s. I was out bodybuilding, going to the, I mean, I went to school, I got graduated, I did that, and, you know, but I started a business and, and, you know, instead of like starting a business and just going all in and, and learning business and all that kind of stuff, 
I didn't do that till five or six years later. So a period of five or six years that I was just surrounding myself with the wrong people. You know, I was going out partying, drinking, and going out to Vegas and doing all kinds of stuff. You know, if I was your son's age and I had him hang around with people like me, I wouldn't be a millionaire. I would have been a billionaire. So when I, when I see younger kids around, you know, these powerhouses with these things, their mindsets, I'm going like, how can this guy not be? I was around pimps, drug dealers, and prostitutes. You know what I mean? I, you know, up, up until I was like 18, because my uncle's store. Then after that, I went to Penn State. I just went to school. I really didn't hang around with anybody. You know, I got out of school. I started making some money. I started my business. And I started like, oh, cool. Now that I didn't party all this time, let me go party and this and that. So I was like 32. That's when I first got my first mentor. My first mentor came at 32. Can you believe that? And I still am here now. So the younger generation, if you're watching this, man, you know, don't surround yourself with knuckleheads. Surround yourself with people that you aspire to be. You know, write your goals. Pursue them relentlessly. You know? And also, I'm going to add something into that. It's being, getting that exposure to that world. Because you get so comfortable in the only world that you know. And so when you don't surround yourself with people like that, that are where you want to be, Absolutely. I mean, I'm gonna tell you right now. I mean, I'll tell you a prime example. Even at my level, you know, um, everybody always asks me, Sam, are you ever gonna get a jet? Are you gonna get a private jet? And I, my, my mind rejects it, just like my mind rejected when I first thought I would, I would become a millionaire. Right? My mom was like, oh, I don't know how I'm gonna become that. It's like so far ahead that I'm like, oh my god, how's that possible? So a jet for me was always like, I don't know if that's ever possible for me. You know, this and that, right? So then I got a call from Ed Milet. And Ed was like, hey, man, I'm going to St. Louis. Why don't you come and ha and on my jet and go? And I'm like, you know, all right, cool. You know, I actually waited 30 minutes before I replied to him, you know, because I didn't want to sound <laughs> so eager. I even told him that. I even told him that. You know? You know what I mean? I, I, was at, I was at Costco with Crystal. I'm like, God, Crystal, look, look. I'm not going to reply to him right now. I'll wait. You know what I mean? You know, so I, uh, so I even told Eddie was laughing, you know, but someone sat down with, with, with in, 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 the, in the jet with Ed and, you know, he's talking to me. He goes, Sam, why don't you get a jet? I'm like, Ed, I'm not there, you know, and then he told me how he got his first jet and how he got his second jet, how he got his third jet. And then when he broke it down, I'm like, that's possible. But have I not been sitting with him for an hour? I would have never thought that was possible for me. So you don't know what's possible until you hang around with those big fishes and they can tell you that they're not the outlier. They just figured it out. They have something. They have a special piece of knowledge that you don't have. Yeah, he's cool. I will interview Yeah, he's, he's come here on the 7th. Yeah. Is he really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Alrighty, so my last question, final question. What legacy do you want to leave here when it is your time to go? You know, I want to be able to have 
my great 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 grandchildren know who I was and what I've done for them and what I've done for the world and my mission is to try to just educate as many people as possible you know against obesity teach them weight loss and teach them how to be able to develop their body I'm so passionate about that because it, that's what changed for me you know coming to America and, and having the zero self-esteem and getting bullied and ridiculed weightlifting changed my life you know and when I see people that come to our programs and next thing you know they're like Sam oh my god like I've never was taking pictures before I never went to picnics I, I never went shopping you know because I, I, I just didn't feel good about myself and now they're selfie queens and selfie kings and and they're feeling good about themselves they're going shopping and 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 you know their relationship gets better you know I have so many people who come through our programs that couldn't conceive to have kids and they became healthier and they have kids you know that's the kind of stuff that I live for you know and my my, my neck my other new passion now is that now that I've helped so many people now these people want to do what I do now they want to change other people's lives so now they're opening up camps and, and becoming our franchisees and and now I get you know text messages Sam oh my god like I never thought I could ever afford this purse and now you know I was able to do it Sam I've never taken a vacation but thank you to you and all your coaching on your program you know now I'm able to be able to go on this kind of vacation or Sam you know it was four of us in a one-bedroom apartment now all of us have our own room so through fitness and through teaching them to live the American dream like I have that's my new passion that's a legacy that I'm gonna live there's nothing more fulfilling when you change someone's life there's nothing more fulfilling than that and that wraps up today's episode. If you found any value in this, please like, share, and leave a review. The more traction we get, the more these messages will be seen and can be heard to change lives. Thank you again for tuning in, and I'll see you in the next one.